Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. Another opening, another show. Here we are, MASH Matters, the podcast celebrating the greatest television show of all time. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Sit down. Sit down, sit please. Down. Sit down. You're too kind. Thank you. It's embarrassing when they stand up, isn't it? It really I, the, is. The applause is all right. But when they stand up, you know, it's it's a little, a little embarrassing. And they have to know that this is an audio podcast, we, that people can't see them standing. That's right. And when they have no pants on and they do it, it's really irritating. <laughs> it distracts me. I don't know about you, but it distracts me. Hey, Jeff Maxwell. How are you? Hey, Ryan Patrick. I'm okay. I'm surviving. And, and you, I'm, I'm sure you are. I am. We're here, we're back, and we're going to make it through this. We have a very special guest in this episode, but before we get to that, I want to say a couple of things. First, hey, how about a shout out to our friends at MeTV? Yes. They wrote a little article about this little podcast here and put it out there on the interwebs, and it was kind of nice. That was a really pleasant surprise. It was really nice because it talked about that wonderful, iconic, incredibly well done scene with Gary Berghoff, uh, Larry Linville and Jeff Maxwell, uh-huh. where I shoot the uh, bugle out of Gary's hands. Yeah. Boy, that was an incredibly fun scene to do. And these guys, Me TV, picked it up and talked about Gary. And Gary gave the interview about being on the podcast and talking about shooting the scene. And it was just a delightful look at that moment in time. It really was. So, Me TV, we are fans. It's the best me on TV. I'm telling you, I love Me TV. <laughs> Go out and buy Me TV, whatever you do. <laughs> Get one. I don't know where you subscribe, you get it in the mark. I don't care. Just get one. That was really, really nice. I also want to make a correction from our last episode. We did our big season four recap. And in the episode, The Kids, I said that Colonel Potter was the one who said, what's a nurse cratty? And several faithful listeners, of course, came and told me how wrong I was. And that's fine because I was very, very wrong. Dean R. on Twitter said, Ryan, thanks for reading my tweet about Quo Vadis. However, in the kids, it's BJ at the sink, not Potter, who says, what's a nurse cratty? So no continuity problem when he greets her. He could have met her briefly before. And that's true. I I am going to go ahead and just blame quarantine brain. (laughs) For some reason, in my mind, I could see Colonel Potter and hear Colonel Potter saying, what's a nurse cratty? But it's BJ. So that's that's my bad. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Please, please sit down. Sit down. (laughs) Well, quarantine brain is a real thing. We all have it, and we do forgive you. At least I do. Thank you. Hey, if this is the first time you're listening to MASH Matters, thank you for coming along for the ride. We have a very special guest with us today, and I want to read a quick question from Will McGregor. I think it was back at the end of last year. He sent us a message saying, hey, love the podcast. Are you going to have Jamie Farr on in 2020? That would be awesome. Oh. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? That would be a really cool thing to do. Well, Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jamie Farr. Hi, Jeff. Hello, Ryan. Here I am. (laughs) Jamie Farr. You did. We did it. We managed to accomplish all this technology and make this happen. I I know, and I'm not good at that. I I think I'm going to take these numbers and uh, play them on the lottery. (laughs) (laughs) Have you tried that, Jeff? No. No. That's a brilliant idea. Then we wouldn't have to do this darn podcast anymore. We can... (laughs) (laughs) Well, these podcasts are very popular. Uh, as a matter of fact, I I just got a uh, email from Alan, you know, and he does a podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Mike Farrell and I and Loretta 
and Gary, we all did it. Uh, that was probably sometime last year, and it's a very good, I think it's called Clear and Vivid. Yes, yes. I heard it. I know Ryan heard it. It was beautiful. Yes. Everybody was great, and it, it brought back wonderful memories for me. Well, listen, I got to tell you something, and I, and I mean this sincerely. You as Igor and Kelly Nakahara, Glenn Farrell and Sherry Saba and Roy Goldman and Dennis Troy and Leroy and Johnny Hamer and G.W. Bailey, I mean, you all contributed so much to that show to make it so popular. You were all part of it. I mean, that was a, it was a necessity to have all of you around and you were all wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Well, thanks, Jamie, for being on the show and come back anytime. <laughs> it, 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 unfortunately, it's not on anymore, so it doesn't mean anything other than a compliment, but it was. I, I, I absolutely marvel at uh, Gene Reynolds' uniqueness to cast people. And, yes. And the show is so well written. It's on all over the place. Oh, yeah. Uh, they have a lot of marathons, and, and uh, which is a tribute to uh, the excellence of the show. Thank goodness for those reruns. My bird has to eat seed. I got to pay for yeah. it some way. <laughs> I got one in yesterday. I think it was for $8. Yeah. I, I think the lowest one I ever got, Jeff, was, uh, I think, 12 cents or something like that. <laughs> but you know what? It all pays for something somewhere along the line. So. <laughs> I never sent that 12 cents back to anybody when I yeah. got <laughs> But as my wife says, it's not, you can't even buy a postage stamp you know, with some <laughs> no. of these residuals. That it costs them more to put the postage on it than the amount of money that you're getting. But thank goodness we have it. It's a... It's a it's a great uh, pension to to have, and especially in our times of our lives. Yes, indeed. In Studio City, there was a bar. I don't know if you ever went in there. It was a kind of a bar, a little restaurant called Residual. No, <laughs> you know, the, Studio City was a hotbed of everybody who was in show business, actors and writers and producers. I, that was where Joy and I bought our very first house. Was right on Laurel Terrace Drive, the shortest street in Studio City. And as a matter of fact, Bill Christopher and Barbara Christopher, uh, Bill who played Father Mulcahy on the show, he lived right in that same area. And when my wife and I would go for a walk in the neighborhood, we'd run into Bill and Barbara. And of course, uh, then uh, when you cross Ventura Boulevard, it becomes Whitsit. Yeah. They used to have that bowling alley yeah. and the uh, little uh, golf course. Uh, I think it was Joe Kirkwood Jr.'s golf course. Yeah. And uh, oh, my goodness, they had some great stores there. There was... Uh, a bakery that we used to go in called Webby's Bakery. It was delicious. They had Dupars over there. Yeah. And they had um, Phil's Fish and Poultry. We were always in there, but it's a (laughs) great area. It was a wonderful area. Hmm. And I lived there for about 10 years. It was. I lived in Studio City as well. And is Arts Deli still there? Oh, absolutely. Best pastrami in the world. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. That's one of the best delis. Everybody thinks of Nate and Al's in Beverly Hills. But yeah, Arts Deli uh, is it, it fabulous. We we used to go in there all the time. And it was a great place to just go for a walk. Uh, they had the Studio City Theater, movie theater there. And there yep. was a Savon or Rite Aid drugstore on the corner and the Union 76 station across the street at Ventura and and Laurel Canyon. And I used to see uh, Barry Tyler Moore in there all the time at the uh, 76 station. She'd be uh, filling up her gas tank and I'd be filling up mine and we'd be saying hello to each other. You saw everybody. I mean, it was like a premiere. Everybody 
lived in that area. It was so close. Was Mary Tyler Moore working there or just filling up the <laughs> No, no, no. I, I think I was. I don't think so. No. Oh, right. <laughs> so that bar residuals was a cute place because they would have a thing. You'd go in and people would post their smallest residual check. Oh, yes. I did hear about this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And if you got the smallest on that board, you got free drinks or something. Yeah. <laughs> What was the smallest, Jeff? What was the smallest? I remember the smallest I saw was two cents. Wow. Two cents, yeah. I think, you know what? I might have gotten one of those. Uh, I forgot. You know, this is like my 65th or 66th year of this business. So Mm. I did a lot of those shows early, early uh, years of uh, many of the old TV shows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that uh, that's probably what uh, my payment would be on any of them. (laughs) Based on the salary that I got. That's probably more uh, more money than the salary I got was actually. (laughs) (laughs) That's that flying nun money, right? (laughs) Flying nun. Oh, my goodness. I did so many. Matter of fact, my wife and I were just talking about that this morning, how how different our business is today. We used to know all the casting directors and they used to go in and you'd see the director and the producer and the writers and you'd read for them or something. Today, everything's done with computers yeah. and somebody with a video camera. You don't even see anybody when you walk in. Yeah. We see all of our actors' friends that were out of work and somebody came in that usually was hot. You go, okay, I know he got the part or she got the part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Your heart sinks. Oh, they're going to. Yeah, your heart uh... would sink. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. The audition of friend, an actor friend, called me up and he said, hey, I'm going to do this audition for this movie. I said, oh, that's exciting. Great. Good. Congratulations. Good luck. And he said, yeah, they, they want me to video the scene on my phone and, and email it to him. Huh. Yeah, can you believe that? Wow. I know. Really? I know. You know, I was fortunate enough, uh, even at this point in my life, a- actually, Jeff, I'm the patriarch now of what's left of our people. Uh, Bill Christopher was the uh, oldest after Harry Morgan had uh, passed on. Yeah. So I'm the, I'm the one now. I'm 85. I'll be 86 in July. Wow. And so uh, you think about all these things and, and the computers that they have. I got lucky enough to get a part on the cool kids at Fox. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at least it, they had the casting director there and they had other people that were in the in the room when you went in. Mm-hmm. And they had some, you know, big names that were up for uh, parts, uh, Stephanie Powers and that. But it was like the old days when yeah. you go in and you actually see people in the room <laughs> and not have just some uh, young person with a video camera yeah. uh, auditioning you. Yeah, true. Well, that must have been refreshing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> they actually have somebody in there and somebody you could talk to. And, and if you mention a name, they know who you were talking about. You know, yeah. today, these kids, a lot of them don't even know. That's one of my favorite lines was from House Calls. When Walter Matthau says to Ann Jackson, you know why I like you? I don't have to explain Ronald Coleman. <laughs> That, that's the thing. You talk to somebody, you mention a name, they don't know who you're talking about. They have no idea. Yeah. And I think one of, I'm one of those names, so don't, one of those do names. me a favor. Don't mention me, I'm not going to okay? mention you. You never come up anywhere. <laughs> I went to a school to talk about, you know, being on television and stuff like that to a drama class. There were 60 kids in this group. And they, all, they all wanted to be in show business at one point or another in their high school life. And I said, well, so how many of you seen MASH? One person out of 60 was there. <laughs> I, I almost passed out. I thought, well, what am I doing here? I have to explain the entire show. I know. And yeah. then I said, how many of you know Jerry Lewis? 
nobody knew who Jerry Lewis was. Wow. Isn't it amazing? I went, oh boy. You know, I used to go on speaking engagements and it was a lot of fun because you'd tell stories about uh, the people you work with, Milton Berle and yeah. Danny Kaye and Bob Hope and of course Red Skelton and Lucille Ball and and just a lot, and, and great stories. And the people would know what you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, today, you know, you mentioned these people. They have no idea. No idea. Of, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Red Skelton used to say, yeah, I was having a uh, bowl of alphabet soup the other day and your name came up. You know? <laughs> so uh, that's probably, that, that's probably what's going to happen uh, to us, Jeff. <laughs> we're going to wind up in an alphabet <laughs> soup someplace. <laughs> wow. I'll, I'll take it. I'll be in soup. I like soup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> have you talked to, I mean, we, you've been in touch with everybody the same as we all have, especially uh, when there's some news uh, going around with some of our uh, cast members and that. And have you been in touch with uh, any of the others lately? We have. Yes, I have indeed. And everybody seems to be doing well. And I, I, I have to say, this is kind of a shock to me because I know we've communicated via email a little bit, but this is the first time I believe, unless you can prove me wrong, but this is the first time since 1983 that I have spoken to you personally. You're probably right. Yeah. You're probably, I know I told that to my wife the other day. I said, you know, Joy, this is the first time since 1983 that I've spoken to you, you know, <laughs> to my wife. <laughs> 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 Actually, uh, I, I rarely get a word in anyway, so it's yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I know. We, we had such a wonderful time. And, and as I said, the contributions that you all made were, were just absolutely wonderful. And people look forward to it. Uh, all of you. I mean, they, they, you, you were just... Uh, actually, the, the show, you were just the same as, as all the rest of the other cast members that, uh, you know, had the name above the title. You you certainly are doing there after the title, wherever it was. Right. Mm -hmm. You were all just great. Uh, and it's nice that we stayed in touch with one another. You know, yes. I saw Eileen Saki, uh, who played Rosie. Oh. I saw her at a function that I did at Cal State Northridge. It had to do with uh, Richard Kaufman conducting the Pacific Symphony Orchestra to a silent movie huh. that Buster Keaton had done called The General. Yes. And uh, I had not really known Buster Keaton, but because I was with Red Skelton, Red was very close with Buster Keaton, so I had a lot of stories about him. Mm. And sure enough, Eileen showed up there, and it was a pleasure to see her and, and a couple other members of our cast that showed up for the evening. How fun. How fun. I kind of want to take you back a little bit to your initial experience with MASH. It was kind of fun. And I, I'm going to use the word lucky and not because of having anything to do about your talent. That's not lucky. But the circumstances that happened, I think, are quite unusual in that you auditioned for something and it didn't work. And then they wanted to do it again. And boom. It worked. Yeah. Well, what happened was I actually, I, I never did audition for it. The way I got the part was I had done a F troupe uh, that Gene Reynolds uh, was directing. And I played a uh, stand-up comic Indian for the Hakawi tribe. <laughs> they were going to have a big party. And they gave me all of the Henny Youngman and, and Milton Berle one-liner jokes, you know, but they transferred them to Indian things. Like my wife was so neat, you know, that she even made the uh, wigwam when I was still in it, you know, and that kind of stuff. Uh, at, at Take my swap, please. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Gene directed it, and he uh, would write down the name of the actor that he saw that he kind of liked. Yeah. 
So, you know, I, I, my career was kind of up and down at so many different times. My career actually uh, took off very, very well when I started in the business, but then I got drafted by the real U.S. Army and wound up in Korea and Japan. And then when I came back, after I had served my uh, couple years, uh, I couldn't get started again. I'd be a hit and miss and, and, and that. So I was doing something else at the time, and Gene just remembered me from that F troop that I had done and called me in for this uh, role on the uh, the series MASH. I hadn't seen the movie. I had heard it was a big hit, mm-hmm. and uh, I was just happy to get it. I mean, it was like, I think I got 250 bucks for the day, yeah. and uh, that, that was going to pay for our rent and some groceries, uh, and I had no idea what the part was. They didn't even tell me until I got there. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Wow. They didn't even show me the costume until I got there, which was that <laughs> wax outfit that they had. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, they, I think it was like five lines or something, but I was totally delighted. And uh, the gentleman who was directing was E.W. Swackhammer. I remember him uh-huh. because I had worked for him at Screen Gems on, might have been The Flying Nun. You <laughs> jokingly mentioned that. Yeah. And he had no idea what the character was about. I had no idea because there was no backstory on the person other than the person who was trying to get out of the army. Yeah. So the way he had me play it was... Uh, not the way Larry Gelbart and Gene Reynolds had in mind, but hey, listen, you're a day player. You come in, you 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 know this well enough, Jeff. You do what they tell you yeah, to, right? Absolutely. <laughs> if you said that, then that's fine with me. Then yeah. you go ahead and do it. Uh, and so that's what I did. And uh, and then I went home, and the, the next day I got a call. And they said, oh, this isn't going to work. Uh, will you come back and redo it? And uh, I, I was embarrassed that I had failed, you know, for Gene and, and Larry. Yeah. So they started talking to me about the character. And I said, look, why don't you just play it straight? You know, let the other people talk about what he's got on and not him all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They say uniform of the day. That's his uniform of the day. And I said, give him a cigar and let him play it straight. Nobody's ever done it that way before. They're always uh, in a disguise or whatever it is, you know, Charlie's aunt or yeah. Milton Berle or, <laughs> or Flip Wilson doing Geraldine or that. Yeah. They said, well, okay, try it. So I tried it and uh, thank goodness I did because I came out for that one day and gratefully I stayed for 11 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, when I say look, that's certainly lucky in an actor's life because that doesn't happen all it the is. time. It is. Abs- no, you're absolutely right. It's yeah. lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I don't disagree with you at all. <laughs> and E.W., uh, did they fire him or did he stay? <laughs> I, you know what? I don't think he ever came back. I don't uh, think he E.W. did. Black Camera. <laughs> yeah. They used a couple directors that they like. Obviously, you know the ones that they like because over the years, I know Charlie Dubin and High Averback. Yeah. And of course, the, uh, Alan Alden, Burt Metcalf, and Gene, and yeah. uh, they they were uh, they were all wonderful. Uh, then some, some of them, you know, some of our cast members, even though you know this because you've been, you were on the show all the time that this show didn't have that kind of ego that you'd be on other shows, you know, where the actors were always on the telephone, finding out where their press agent was going to get them the next job or where they were. (laughs) But some of the actors didn't get along with some of the directors and, uh, they, you know, made a point of saying we weren't fond of that person. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that person didn't come back, but, uh, the ones that uh, that they liked, boy, they sure used them, and and they were wonderful. Yeah, and, and that was part of the family too. Is that having that director, that you know, the father figure there? You're absolutely right. Yes, who you could trust, a familiar person. And you know, the wonderful thing about the show was that 
every time they replaced somebody who left the show or something, they would come up with some other character and you'd say, gee, I wonder if this will work or not. And they were, in a different way, equally as good as the person that left the show, but in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was remarkable. Uh, and they fit in so well. Yep. It, it wasn't as if, I mean, we all got worried, obviously, when you take major characters out of a successful show and you're saying, oh, gee, what are we going to do now? You know, and it's like when, you know, Larry Gelbart left the show, we said, oh, my goodness, we felt like we were orphaned. <laughs> and then but we always got somebody that came in and and uh, kept the show together. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was, I think, Gene and Alan and Bert mm -hmm. and the wonderful writers that we had. Weren't they great? Incredible. And I think you have to give tribute to to certainly Gene Reynolds and Larry Gelbart, who built such a foundation yes. that allowed other writers and other actors to come in and fit so well. Because I don't think if they had built that foundation less, <laughs> less, I don't think it would have worked. But I think they were so genius and talented at providing something for somebody to stand on. Yes. Yes, they were. Yes, indeed. We're all grateful to Gene and the respect that we have for him and his the, the way he handled everything, his uh, choices. Yes, yes. He, he was always very, very good about everything. And, and if uh, I don't know if you were ever at any of the, the readings at the table mm -hmm. uh, on Monday, but, uh, you know, everybody would go page by page after they read the script. And if there were any objections, they'd ask, OK, what are the objections and so on and so forth. And there'd be these huge discussions over certain lines that they would have. And some of the actors would say, gee, I wouldn't say this line. I, I did that a couple of times. I said, I wouldn't say this. I think Bill Christopher would say that you give away lines, you know. Right. Yeah. But uh, Gene always made sure he said, look. Okay, that's the end of, of all the pages. We've all had our objections and discussions and that. But he said, the buck stops here now with me. No more changes to be made unless you call the front office. So that's why when we you know, started shooting, if we tried to change anything, they would always call the front office to make sure if it was okay yeah. by Gene. Yeah. And uh, he, he was just wonderful with his choices. He was. He was. He was a very skilled, elegant guy that way. Amazing. Yes, he, elegant is a wonderful word to use, yes. And speaking of elegant, just so I, I feel comfortable with this, i like to introduce Jamie to Ryan Patrick, my wonderful partner in this MASH Matters. Uh, Jamie? Ryan, Ryan, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Ryan. <laughs> Hello, Jamie. It's great talking to you. Yeah, well, listen, it's, it's great to be talked to. <laughs> I'm tired of coming up in that alphabet soup, you know. <laughs> no, this is a real treat for me. I'm a lifelong fan of the show, and I've had the chance to see you on stage a few times as well. And now you want your money back. I know. I do, I actually. Yeah. Yeah. Can I get a refund? No, you came to our area uh, in a production of The Odd Couple. Oh, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Bill Christopher and I yes. did that. You know, we started that in Minneapolis at the Guthrie Theater and then took it out. That was a, a bus and trucker. And boy, I got to tell you something. Some of the places we played, uh, you know, uh, little places and places that we had to stay because of the hotels and, and the food. We always got into the town after everything had closed. And uh, God bless uh, Barbara Christopher. She traveled with us on the bus for a while. And uh, whenever she went out to uh, dinner, if she got there before us, she would take all of the biscuits and uh, bread things and that and, and put them in her purse uh, so that we had, and I had something to eat when we got to the hotel room because everything was closed. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you remember this or 
not, but the theater that you played here the day before the production, the theater burned down. And so it had to be moved at the last minute to a different theater in a different city around here. No, I don't remember that. I, they, they probably wanted to stop us from doing the show, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Some, somebody had seen the show. They said, the, the heck with their money back. Why don't we just burn the theaters out and they can't do it? <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, like many MASH fans, love Klinger. Not just because of the antics in the early seasons, but also what the character became. You just did such a wonderful job with that role. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. You know what? I, I, it's, um, there's a thing out there that's called called cameos. Have you heard of that lately? Yes. And the uh, the people came to me and they said, "Will you do these cameos? You know, you they they go online and they uh, pay a certain amount of money and you wish somebody a happy birthday or something and it's like about 30 seconds of of something. And uh I said, "Oh, sure. I'm not, you know, doing anything like that." Well, I have to tell you, you these people are so appreciative of those little cameos oh, yeah. <laughs> that you do wishing somebody a happy birthday or get well. Or I, I told my wife, I said, I'm surprised. I, you know, Jeff, you and I know we, we, we took the jobs. We paid our rent with it, the money and that we didn't realize the impact that uh, we made on all the people that watched the show exactly. and how devoted they were to it and what it meant in their lives. Mm-hmm. And you should see some of the things that uh, the people write and say, and uh, even request in the cameos <laughs> to say that I, Hey, we were just, uh, we were working actors, right? We came in, we did our job, and we went home. <laughs> Jamie, we, Ryan and I just had that conversation earlier when I said I've seen some of the things that people write to me and all of the appreciation and emotional, yeah. uh, uh, emotionless from them saying, this is what it meant to me I in know, my life. I know, I know. That's what you, I get. You got me through bad periods and you got exactly. me through this. Exactly, yes, that. yeah. Oh my God. And like you said, this was a job to us. Yeah. Certainly we loved it, but it was a job. <laughs> we were happy to get up and go to work every day, you know. And go I, to work. We, yeah. and, and, and of course, as you as you know as well, when we go home, our sides would be hurting from laughing at uh, what was yeah. going on on the on the sets in between the uh, the setups and, and everything. It was a lot of fun. It was incredible. And we had a lot of people that wanted to work the show that that just said, "No, I just want to work the show." We hear it's such a you know fun place to be. Yeah. And I'm sure you've been on some sets where you go, "Boy, I can't wait to get out of here." This. Uh, yeah, a lot of agendas and egos. Yeah. Oh boy, aren't there? I'm, I'm telling you, they still are. They're still out there someplace. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to worry about that. I, there aren't too many phone calls for an 85 year old man anyway now. So it doesn't know. matter. All those agendas and egos are now in my house, which is weird. But, uh, <laughs> well, Ryan and I started doing this because, uh, as he said, he's a lifelong fan and an ardent fan and it was my job and we thought it would be a good kind of a partnership because we have different perspectives of the show i loved it because it was a job and i loved all the people ryan loved it because it was kind of an emotional experience for him watching the shows identifying with the episodes and so forth as an, as an audience and that's kind of why we started mash matters now is it every it would, all the podcasts are about mash or do you do other things we do some porn stuff but usually it's about mash. <laughs> no oh, no, okay. no i'm only saying because there's so many things that are going on i i 
I, uh, you know, like uh, Alan's podcast, Alan, all his podcasts is, uh, gee, he does all kinds of different people on the on the show, and he calls, of course, clear and, and vivid. Right. And they're fascinating. I mean, he interviews people that you wouldn't think, well, that might be interesting or not, but he, he's such a smart and clever man. He always makes it interesting, and he gets the best out of his guests that he has on the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So far, we're just sticking with MASH. We, we just kind of like to celebrate the idea of the show, the people on the show, the themes and writers and producers and so forth, all about MASH. Did you know that, that, that David Ogden Stiers, you know, when he passed away, the people that, are, that have a museum up there, that they're, uh, I guess David was involved in the theater up in uh, Oregon, mm-hmm. and they're making a collage from photographs that we sent, like me and Mike Farrell and Loretta, and, and they're cutting out certain parts of the pictures and that, and they're uh, making a uh, big collage of David's portrait with all of the uh, things that they've cut from all of our pictures. So we're part of his collage. We're part of his profile that they have up there, which is really a very interesting thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Nice. I actually, I was told about it. I haven't sent a picture yet. I hope I can be included in that. Yeah. I don't know if there's a termination time to get it in, yeah. in there, but uh, yeah. uh, gosh, I haven't been up to the Orient. A lot of Oregon, a lot of the people from our business moved up that way. Gregory Harrison, and Patrick Duffy and David Ogden Stiers and uh, a lot of people uh, seem to have gone up there to retire and got involved in the local theater areas. Yeah. My oral surgeon moved up there, which uh, wreaks havoc trying to get an appointment yeah. with him. <laughs> but, but he says open but, uh, wide. He's not kidding, boy. He That's from here to kidding. Oregon. Ah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I know we pay the taxes here big time and, and all the things. But as Joy and I always said, we're just a little too old to start moving and going someplace. Yeah, And the, the memorabilia that we have, I'm sitting in my little study here that is just overloaded with stuff and I have to go through it and decide what I want to do with it. And it's very difficult, but it, it's tough to, to make a move. Uh, all of the doctors and hospitals and everything right. are nearby right. the area that we live in. I'm, I'm sure that's the same thing with you in Studio City. And friends. You think of friends. Hey, I'm going to leave that's friends. That's exactly you know, right. Yeah. That's a very important part of our lives to have friends in the area you can visit with and go meet some, you know, for some dinners or yeah, whatever. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. You have to start over when you move. It's difficult. Well, you know, at my age, I'm starting over anyway because there ain't many of them left. I used to, <laughs> <laughs> I used to play a lot of golf with a lot of my buddies, but, uh, they're not around anymore. So oh now I'm God. playing with the 60 year olders. <laughs> hey, I have become, Jamie, I have become a golf fanatic. Really? I started about a year and a half ago. I'm out of my mind. I, I'm crazed now. That's all I think about and talk about other than match matters. <laughs> I love the game and it's very difficult. <laughs> it is. It's extremely difficult and people don't yes. realize that. I, uh, you know, I don't know whether you knew this or not, but I hosted a LPGA tournament for over 30 years in yes. my hometown of uh, Toledo, Ohio. Yeah. So I was with the lady pros, you know, Nancy Lopez and, uh, and of course, the uh, Korean invasion with Sari Park. She won yeah. my tournament five times. Wow. And I inducted her into the LPGA Hall of Fame. And, and I played with all of the uh, the great ones. But 
I must tell you, it is. It's an extremely difficult game, and it's only you only hold on to it for a short period of time because even the great ones yes. they run into trouble yes. after a while. The yes. Jack mm-hmm. Nicholases and the Tiger Woods and the Arnold Palmers and you know people that you uh, grew up watching or watch lately in that, and uh, it's it's very difficult to try to win each week that way. There's so many talented golfers, and you know sometimes you'll run into some of these people that you might team up with, and some of them as amateurs are incredible. Incredible. Yeah. You go, wow, they're terrific. And they couldn't make the cut and the pro <laughs> as good yeah. as they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how fantastic the pros are. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't been playing that much, uh, lately, just, uh, only because of my age, uh, processing and, and 18 holes are a bit much for me now, uh, you know, nine holes possibly. Right. And, and again, I, I used to walk courses, but I can't do that anymore. I play over at Calabasas. I've been a member there for okay. my gracious uh, about 40 years. Yeah. And a lovely people, nice. Uh, that's the that was the old Warner Ranch, right? Okay. And a lot of movies were shot there. And actually, each hole is named after a movie hmm. that was uh, shot on the premises. Oh, really? How fun! Yeah, it is. I haven't been uh, back there in a long time. I, you should see all the equipment. You know, all the golf tournaments that I played in, the uh, things that they give you, the tee prizes, and and that. I look like a golf shop down in my garage there. <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah, how many sets of clubs do you have, Jeff? I have two. I have two sets. I have to cover them because I swear to you, I have. They have a rack. <laughs> they have. I have so many different shafts. You know, graphite, ball rod. Yeah, yeah. I have old wooden shafts at the, at some of the. Uh, the clubs I have. Do you have a special make that you like uh, that you use in particular? You know, I'm just trying to figure out how to swing the thing and hit the ball. Yeah, you know, I know. I, we, 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 we have a regular swing, but that's not the one that works in golf, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> we repeat that swing. We're trying to get rid of that one that we repeat. Yeah, we repeat. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I've, been, I've gone through this so many different times. It's, it's amazing. Holy moly. That's fun. Well, you know, one of the things I want you to know is that we kind of put up some information on, on our website asking for questions. Does anybody have any questions for Jamie Farr? And I want you to know. Does anybody say, is he still with us? <laughs> 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 uh, who's Jamie Farr? Uh, give me Jamie Farr. Give me a Jamie Farr type. Who's Jamie, Jamie Farr? Farr? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I, you, you must know the place like lit up, didn't mm-hmm. it, Ryan? Oh, yes. It was very bright. Yes. Oh, how nice. Oh, boy. It spawned many, 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 many questions. So we do have some questions. Okay. I mean, Ryan and I could talk to you for two hours and ask our own questions questions, but we wouldn't be doing our duties to everybody unless we sort of included all of our listeners. Okay, by all means, I hope I can answer them. You probably can because you are Jamie Farr. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. <laughs> See, when you get older, how you forget. I forgot. <laughs> well, we had a lot of questions about your gowns. You know, what are your favorite gowns? Sure, right. Yeah, that's the usual. Your yeah. favorite episodes and a lot of people are talking about Toledo and your memories of Toledo. Sure. But some of these questions I absolutely love. One of them, Harkens back to your time in the military. You did serve in Korea. And Barbara, she said, you served in Korea with the Army, 
and would love to know how those experiences helped you in building Klinger as a character. And then also, Will McGregor had a great question. He wanted to know, in your time in the military, did you know any Max Klinger types that would do anything to get out? There was in basic training. I took basic training at Fort Ord up in Northern California. And there was a kind of a, a guy that would do, he, he didn't put on dresses, obviously, in that, but he did a lot of goofy things. And uh, we were all a little uh, suspect of him and frightened of him. <laughs> I think he even jumped out of the uh, the second story of the uh, of the barracks we were in and, wow. and tried to, you know, break his leg or whatever Uh-oh. the heck it is. But yeah, there were a couple of people that didn't want to serve or didn't want to be there. And, and actually... I didn't really, you know, because the character was so bizarre and they would give me all kinds of things to do. I always just try to do it with the spirit and energy of the person believing, you know, even as dumb as this scheme might be, he believed in it. You know, he mm-hmm. thought he could, he could, <laughs> he could pull the wool over their eyes and get out. That's basically what I use. Yeah. But yeah, the actual locale, like the, uh, the area that we were in when we shot up at uh, Las Virginies uh, area looked. Uh, a lot like Korea. I did. I wasn't there for the full time. I I did uh, temporary duty there. I I uh, actually opened uh, Armed Forces Television. Hmm. I was with Armed Forces Radio, and I opened Armed Forces Television in uh, in the winter time up there. And matter of fact, we had a, a bunch of civilians. We had a DC-3 plane. We had a, a strategic air commander who was the head of our unit in uh, Sakamachi in Japan, just outside of Tokyo. And he flew the airplane. It was like a paratrooper's airplane. Uh, there weren't any seats. They were like uh, benches, you know, there with the corrugated metal on it. And we had a lot of civilians in there and a couple of service people. Ours was a tri-service station. We had Marines and Navy and Air Force and Army and, and that And uh, when we flew in to open the Armed Forces Television, one of the cold waves that we used to duplicate on the uh, on the series came in and we uh, we were not allowed to take off from the uh, Kimpo Air Base there. So we had to stay overnight and uh, we actually slept in luggage rack areas with our coats and boots and everything on with a little pot belly stove. And then the next day they said, "Okay, you can take off now. So uh, we all got on the airplane, sat on the benches in the airplane and took off. And we're over the Sea of Japan when the engines freeze. Mm. Oh, wow. DC-3 was just two-engine airplane, you know. And we were losing altitude, and uh, we were asked to abandon the plane. Oh, wow. And they started handing out parachutes to us on the airplane. Yikes. And we're looking at each other. Even the guys that were in the Air Force, they had never used a parachute or anything else. And first of all, if you jumped, you couldn't live in the water because it was below freezing. You know, you'd get hypothermia. <laughs> so you see all these ashen faces with these parachutes on our back and that, and the airplane is losing altitude in that, and the engines are just, it's like a John Wayne movie, you know, where the pilot's trying to kick over the uh, the blades, they go, and nothing's turning over, and nothing's turning over. And we're all frightened. We don't know what the heck to do. I'm not going to jump, and, uh, you know, even with a raft or whatever it is. So finally, as the airplane descends, because of the dropping of the altitude, the ice started to break off of the uh, propellers and the wings. And they also, what the uh, pilot does is they pump alcohol into the uh, wing area to try to melt the ice. So we, I don't know how many feet uh, we were above the water where it was possible for us to jump. 
but the engines finally turned over and uh, we made it. Wow. We were at the point of no return over the Sea of Japan and made it back to Tachikawa in Japan. That was one of my uh, exciting events when I was in the real army. Wow. And then the other time was when uh, Red Skelton came over. This was in the summertime to entertain the troops and he requested me from the State Department and I flew there on a United Nations VIP airplane and uh, we went uh, at, in little camps, not like Bob Hope with a big camp and you, you know, sold the show to NBC or whatever it was, registered shows at uh, encampments and that. We went all the way up to the DMZ, the 38th parallel, and I helped him with all of the routines that uh, he would do. He It was all by himself. He didn't have an orchestra or anything else. He did pantomimes and jokes and that. I would announce him and help him with any of the, uh, the things that he needed to do. Matter of fact, when we got back to uh, Japan, he said to me, you know, you're going to have a tough time when you uh, come home. So if you run into any trouble, you come and see me. So I, when I did get home, as I pointed out to you, that I, I couldn't get a job anyplace. Nobody would hire me because I was gone for two years, you know. And uh, I went to say goodbye to him over at CBS TV Center. My dad had passed away. And uh, he said, you're not leaving. He said, I'm putting you under personal contract to me. And, and he uh, took some money out of his house coat that he had on. And he said, send that home to your mom. He said, I'll see you up at the house in Bel Air. He said, from now on, you're working for me. So I did his TV shows, and then I also traveled with him to all the nightclubs and helped him with uh, all the stuff that he uh, that he did. We played the Sands in Las Vegas, the Chez Paris in Chicago, the Moudin Rouge in L.A. And uh, Jamie, how how did that relationship with Red Skelton happen? How did you happen to meet him and do that? Well, Red was you know Red lost his son uh, from leukemia at 12 years old, and uh, I I sort of kind of became like his his son, his second son. He kept the room that Richard uh, was in, and, and Richard loved trains. And we'd go up to the room, and uh, the room would be just the way he, the Richard had left it when he had passed away. And uh, we'd run the the train that he had uh, up in the room uh, several times. And that he he was a very very uh, unique uh, and very loving character. He was a person that you know he his hero was uh, Ed Wynn when he was a little boy selling newspapers in Vincennes, Indiana. Ed Wynn bought a bunch of newspapers from him when Red was selling them so that Red could have enough money to pay a ticket to see him at the theater in, in Vincennes. And I got to know Ed uh, Wynn. Ed was like Red's father, and uh, Ed was like my grandfather. I worked with Ed in, uh, in a movie and also uh, was very good uh, friends with him. Wow. What a great experience. Yeah. I, I remember uh, going to Reno, Nevada, because Red Skelton was going to appear there, and I wanted to see Yeah, him I was there. I, I bet you I was there. I, you probably were. It was just him. He just came out on the stage, and I swear to God, for a solid hour, about 10 seconds after he hit the stage, everybody started laughing, and you didn't stop for a solid hour. Did he do any of the pantomimes? Do you remember the little old man watching the parade? Yes, and, uh, yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. well, that, I did all the sound effects for him. Oh. That was me. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, because he, you see, Red didn't try. We, uh, he had a sound effects guy at CBS named Ray Erlenborn, but Ray obviously is not going to leave CBS to, to go with him, yeah. so Red only trusted me hmm. to go ahead and, and make sure that all of the pantomimes that he did, the sound effects, were done, so I I did that. It was called the McKenzie machine. And uh, I, I put in all those uh, those little tapes in there. 
and knew uh, when to put them in and when to do them with him so that he would uh, have them involved in the pantomime. Wow. Yeah, I, I remember playing Reno. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was uh, he was a, just a terrific guy, and uh, I, I owe a lot to him as I owe Gene Reynolds a lot. Yeah. Well, what a wonderful relationship you had. Uh, and if anybody doesn't know who Red Skelton is, just Google him. Oh, my, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was invited to his museum in Vincennes, Indiana. He has a museum there, and... Uh, Ray was married three times. He was married to uh, the first wife was Edna that got him the contract at uh, NBC and at MGM. And then uh, they got a divorce and he uh, remarried. And it was Georgia Davis, who was a uh, showgirl at, at MGM. And that's who Red had uh, Valentina and Richard with. And then later they got a divorce and that. But he wound uh, up marrying Lothian Tolan. And Lothian Tolan is the daughter of the great cinematographer Greg Tolan, who did Citizen Kane. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. And so Lothian was the one, uh, when Red passed away, she asked me to be one of the pallbearers. Mm. So I was a pallbearer with Milton Berle and Bob Hope and uh, a stage manager that uh, Red loved uh, over at CBS, uh, Willie Dahl. Mm. And so we were the four uh, pallbearers. He's buried at the Glendale Forest Lawn, I think, in a crypt there where Jack Benny and George Burns are. That's part one of our conversation with the great Jamie Farr. Uh, I loved uh, hearing these stories about Red Skelton. I was always a huge Red Skelton fan. Me too. Me too. He actually came here to our town back when I was a child. And at the time, I didn't have the ability to go buy a ticket and go to a show when I'm seven or eight years old. But a a friend of mine, he was his driver for the day. His name is Bruce. And I remember Bruce telling a story about picking him up at the airport, Red Skelton, and Bruce said, where would you like to go? You want to go to the hotel? Do you want to go to the theater? Where do you want to go? Do you want to go get some rest? And Red Skelton said, I want to go to Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) And and the reason was is because Red Skelton loved people. He loved being around people and he wanted to go where the people were and the people were at Walmart. And so he took him to Walmart and he said he'd walked through Walmart and just watched him greet everybody in the store and uh, talk with them and sign autographs and just joke with them and be Red Skelton. I mean, isn't that amazing? I love that. Yeah, it is amazing. He was an amazing human being. And, uh, you know, I I saw him in a club in Reno, Nevada, and I he walked out on stage and started making people laugh. And 60 minutes later, they stopped when he walked off stage. No Nobody uh, could stop laughing from the moment he stepped out on that stage. He was an amazing performer, as is Jamie Farr. Yes. Jamie Farr has performance and entertainment and humor in his DNA. Mm-hmm. You know, some people can go to acting school, and I know he did, but acting school can just kind of help uh, brush you up. But if you don't have that in your DNA and all that energy, look at how much energy he has. It's an amazing guy. He's an amazing guy. Yes. It was just really fun to listen to him. Really, really terrific. And you're going to love part two. Part two, he will talk about the evolution of Klinger. He will talk about the last days of MASH. He talks about Klinger's high heels. 
and even his road to Broadway too. how a guest star on MASH helped him perform on Broadway. Uh, there's also a very, very interesting story about an unorthodox way of asking for a raise that I don't recommend ever doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Nobody should do that. I'm surprised we're actually able to speak to Jamie Farr now after listening to that story. That's true. Holy moly. You will hear that story and more in part two of our conversation with Jamie Farr on the next episode of MASH Matters. You can reach out to us through our website, mashmatterspodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Subscribe to us, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, all the big podcast players. And please leave us a five-star review and write a review there on Apple Podcasts. We'll be reading some of those coming up in future episodes. By the way, you can just stop over to the house if you want as well. Bring a casserole. I like something with tuna. Uh, you can also call and leave a voicemail at 513-436-4077. Just keep that voicemail under three minutes in length. Or you can also just record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us. We'll take your voicemails that way as well. So, Jeff, yes. this has been fun. It's been a great, great time. Great talking with Jamie and really looking forward to part two because he was a terrific guy. He is a terrific guy. And I enjoyed that so very, very much. Thank you, Jamie. And until then, here's looking up your old address. Mm-hmm.